interrupt our program to bring you this important message. Hi, I'm Chucky. Wanna play? You know, it's Halloween. I guess everyone's entitled to one good scare. Be afraid. No. Be afraid. Be very afraid. Ghouls and gore. And sometimes a little more. My bloody podcast. <laughs> Welcome everyone, boils and ghouls, to the 94th episode of my bloody podcast. 94 episodes. My bloody podcast. Very excited to be here. I'm Brian Kluger and I'm joined by the host with the most, the man I go to Egypt with, discover mummies, crypts, tombs, and pyramids with the Sandy Man himself. Preston Barta. Hello, hello. Glad <laughs> to be back. It well. is glad to be back. It's been since uh, late February. Took a, took a little bit off. I mean, with our last episode was Jason X, so it's really hard to top that one, but I think we will today. Yeah, we'll top the podcast. We'll, it'll, we'll be the, it'll be peak. The, it'll, it, will, it will be amazing. We're very excited to be here back on My Bloody Podcast. Please subscribe to us at My Bloody Podcast. That's right, folks. No more going to the Multimedia Men Podcast Network. We have our own channel, our own show, finally, My Bloody Podcast. It's all you got to check out. It's everywhere that you can listen to shows with. Uh, yeah, Spotify, iTunes, iHeartRadio, Amazon, Google, all the good stuff. We missed you. We're going to get to our main feature presentation later, which is 1999's The Mummy, starring the amazing fantastic brendan frazier amongst other people but first we we're, we're gonna do a little bit of the updates a little bit of the news we just got to talk about a few things a couple things have come out we just want to talk with you about it right preston yes please let's yes yes let's let's please so first off a little bit of the horror genre i know it came out uh just like a week ago on hbo mortal kombat is arguably a horror film. It's got monsters, it's got demons, it's got blood and carnage on it. We got to talk about it just a little bit. Mortal Kombat remake, revamp from the producer of Saw and the Conjuring, James Wan. He hired a guy who's never done a feature film before to make this movie. And they remade this 19, they remade this uh, Mortal Kombat from the 1995 film a long time ago. And it is now in theaters and on HBO Max. And I guess if there's a difference, it's bloodier and gorier. Um, and it's definitely, I guess, I don't know if it was a bigger budget compared to back then, but out of everything, I enjoyed Mortal Kombat. It was fun. It had some decent fight sequences. It took a little bit to get going, uh, but I went in for the action and the carnage and the one-liners, and that's what I got. Preston, your thoughts. <laughs> Yeah, um, the conversations that you and I have had uh, since watching it, I, I gave it out of five stars, probably a two and a half, which isn't too bad. But because I'm the one that likes it the least out of our friend group, it makes it seem like I just straight up hate it and gave it one star. Um, but that's not the truth. Preston I, um, hated it. <laughs> yeah. Um, it, 
It um, it just is. It is not that great. I I have to say. Um. <laughs> well, okay. Well, you gave it a fifty percent out which of a hundred percent, which is yeah. I mean, there's good things to it. You didn't give it a thirty percent or a twenty percent. Saying it's not that great. I mean, if you're saying it's not that great, not with a little that laugh. That great. means it, yeah. it's not that great. So that means it's either great or it's 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 good it's all it's all right is that what you're saying i i agree with you in that there are some moments that are that are well executed uh pun intended uh there are quite a few kill scenes that are well done uh that man it would have been great to have watched in the theaters and uh, unfortunately i didn't get that opportunity or was brave enough to do it at this very moment but um yeah watching nothing beats like going to the midnight screening of the first one. And I went with my neighbor and then we played the video game. We went to this, the, the, the midnight premiere. And then you hear the, the iconic uh, theme song open over new line cinema and nothing just beats that. And so playing the game over the years, there's just such a rich mythology there. So much areas that you can go in and so much patience that you can have with forming a story or a, a multi-film arc. And they, to me, watching this film, it felt like they were rushing way too much. And when I was watching the beginning or the first hour, really, you're struggling to keep up. You're like pedaling and pedaling. They're throwing so much at you. I'm like, I barely got to know this guy. We're already jumping to the bad guys. I just, I, I have no connection for any of the people that are in this film. So as well, as much as I like recognize these people or recognize their names, it needs to have some more to it. So an argument that I've seen on the internet because the headline that I put was something along the lines of, like the action's cool, but then the character and story is not quite there because for me, the movie would have been better if it was a more contained story, something like Deadpool, where it feels very small. Like out of all the comic book movies, that one feels like it doesn't have that big scope to it. And that's kind of what I wanted from, from this one and I didn't get it. Um, and on top of that, the, the action, the way that it was shot, like this director didn't know what the hell he was doing. Uh, they, they, he, he just probably left it to his cameraman and even, even they were like, uh, it's just like some, something was not right about it. And um, I found I was bored by some of it. And so overall, it's pretty let down. It wasn't quite the fun garbage movie that Godzilla versus Kong was, which... I knew going into it that movie was going to have really dumb characters, not a good story because I've seen the other films and it's already been established. This is new ground. So I have higher expectations for that. And it let me down. So uh, there you go. Okay. All right. I, Hey, very logical and sound complaints. And I, I would agree with you. I would say that, yeah, the, the characters are not great. I think they tried to do that, you know, uh, keep that smaller story with like the failure of an MMA fighter with his family, but it literally—I mean, it went by so fast. They just wanted to introduce all the characters and get to the training, and then. But even when they're doing the training sequences, they just started fighting with the villains, and it's like, okay, there's 
no semblance of structure here. So that being said, I still enjoyed it. Mortal Kombat on HBO Max. Um, also, horror-wise, Scream Factor and Arrow Video have been releasing more, uh, a little bit more uh, movies finally. So a couple have come out. Uh, they did the collector's edition, Scream Factory did the collector's edition of Event Horizon, famous, fantastic horror movie set in space, which is really gory. And they also released the 70s version of King Kong with Jeff Bridges. Um, so let's start there with King Kong 1976 version. Uh, Preston, you got that Blu-ray, right? I haven't got it yet. But I'm, uh, I'm very excited about it. It was a it was a movie that I used to watch with my dad, uh, even though we both recognize that it's a pretty flawed movie. But there's just something about it that is charming. I don't know if it's Jeff Bridges, um, but well, it's, uh, it's or or the or the effects to it. You no, know, it's the effects. It's absolutely effects because that's at the time of kind of like a John Carpenter. Jim Henson feel because 1933 saw, you know, clay, the, 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 not claymation, but the stop motion animation. And then the Peter Jackson one and the rest of them are very CG, but that seventies didn't have CG. It was all amazing. That nostalgic practical effects. You got to see King Kong eat people, you know, it's just, there's something about that movie that oozes like, I guess, nostalgia and fun back then. And, you know, to see the dude, <laughs> you know, drink a white Russian with King Kong is pretty amazing. <laughs> yeah, that happens. <laughs> that happens. But yeah, they, they released that. They released Event Horizon, which that movie now looks amazing. I wish they did would have done a 4K transfer because it was done in a 4K transfer, but they didn't, they only put it on Blu-ray. Unfortunately, all the bonus features for Event Horizon are sadly not great. They're all just Zoom interviews varying in video quality. It's very sad. And, um, and the biggest complaint is that they didn't put the blood orgy in there. I was really hoping for this big collector's edition to have that you know, unedited blood orgy scene that we only see like three seconds of in the film. So that's not there. Still good stuff. Um, Arrow Video though has, Arrow Video has basically become criterion, but for genre, like it, I mean, let's say it. I mean, isn't that correct? Yeah, absolutely. 100%. Yes. So what, what have you liked that they've released over the past few weeks? Oh my gosh. Uh, I'm like overwhelmed with the amount of stuff that I have uh, from them. One that I watched just uh, recently uh, within the past week is the Switchblade Sisters. And um, this one came out in the 70s. Uh, I believe it, uh, what was it originally called? Um, uh, was it I Lady can't... Death? No, it wasn't. <clears throat> no, it, it has a J in it. And I'm the it's in the name of the gang that they, they call themselves towards the end. Oh it's, yeah. 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 But I can't, I can't remember. Uh, I'll have to look that up anyway. Um, so this movie is um, just about some, a, a female gang that's in uh, what I call the armpit of civilization. 
And so parts of it kind of remind me of outsiders just because there's all these different gangs and uh, there's um, the dudes and the ladies and um, there's a lot of uh, a lot of smacking around that took me back to the uncomfortability that I felt when I was watching Saturday Night Fever uh, not too long ago where I was watching that movie and I was like, how do people like this movie? because he's like John Travolta is such a a-hole in it and he beats people up and there's a rape sequence and so like all those elements are pushed into that movie however the women really stand up for themselves and they kick ass they uh, cut each other and there, there's some action scenes that are or knife fights rather that are done really well especially the climatic one and I put it in my post that I put on Instagram remind me of Drive because Drive has that really nice uh, shadow fight at the very end. Um, so they, they found some really unique ways to um, be creative within their budget. Um, and it's a, it's a very uncomfortable movie. Like I said, there, there are, there's a moment where one of the, the female leads gets raped and then the guy um, goes and like, toughens up in front of the father like yeah what are you going to do about it because i can sabotage your store that you own and ruin your life and he kind of like steps away uh being a real good dad and then he goes back into the room to this woman that he just violated and he's like are you okay like it th th obviously they're not thinking too much about like what these characters are really thinking about but for how gritty the movie is, because it is like a 70s exploitation film, it's actually quite uh, well done for what it is. Uh, I don't know if I'll watch it again, but I did really enjoy watching the extras, which is something that you were hinted at with Arrow having, or being the criterion of genre films, is because they really take the time to craft some really well done documentaries it seems like they actually took the money even during these times of covid and the pandemic to go film the actors or the filmmakers in their houses or wherever they want to be that's comfortable and it's well lit and they throw in behind the scenes footage they're they able to get their hands or they really pushed to um get their hands on some stuff that makes it feel fresh and unique rather than what screen factory is doing at the moment which is they're putting all their money on just the availability of those filmmakers and actors, regardless of how good it looks or not. There's no, there's probably no direction there with, uh, Oh, your camera doesn't look that great on zoom. Oh, uh, it's all right. Well, we want to, we want to make you comfortable. So yeah. it, it's just, it, it's respect for the viewer. It's respect for the person that's spending the money to, to buy these very boutique uh, releases um so uh yeah um what's coming this week uh donnie darko um yeah which, which is, is a two you disc can, you can talk more about that yeah donnie darko two disc um tons of extras and bonus features on that the artwork's amazing uh it's if you haven't seen donnie darko i'm sure most people have one of those cult classics instant cult classics they probably re-released because this movie has been released so many times because that same filmmaker, Arrow Video, just released um, the Southland Tales in a the cans cut, the infamous cans cut, new bonus features, new interviews talking about the film. If you've never seen Southland Tales, 
We're not going to talk about it today or Donnie Darko just because I would imagine those two movies will be part of our main event someday, <laughs> very yeah. soon. So take a drink. So, so take, yes, yes. So that's, um, they released those. They're amazing. I still have love for Scream Factory, but please, Scream Factory. Oh my goodness. And please, Arrow and Criterion, why are we not in 4K yet? I mean, I know Scream Factory is slowly kind of releasing 4Ks like here and there, but man, you're doing these 4K transfers. Just put it on 4K. I just want Blu-rays. And it was Scream Factory. I can't stress this enough. I like buying your movies. I'm going to still buy your movies. But when you have, when you're, when you're noted and you're known for your bonus features on your collector's editions, you have to do something different and get with the game and stop doing zoom interviews just with people like i get it i like interviews but take a page from arrow man they really fully produced their bonus features with clips behind the scenes footage and edited it all in and it looks and sounds amazing huh. hopefully we'll get there this year <laughs> like you said we're gonna still buy them and review them but we're we're wagging our finger at you saying tisk 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 um so the Oscars were this past weekend. Was there a horror movie that was up for an Oscar that won? Was there a horror movie that was nominated? Was Invisible Man nominated for anything? If not, it should have been. I don't. I can't even think of a horror movie that was nominated for the Oscars because that's uh, that's the problem. No, it is the problem. I think the best picture this year was not as good. As the Invisible Man, hard stop. <laughs> Invisible Man is greater opinion. than Nomadland, absolutely. Um, and pretty much every element in my opinion. Uh, unfortunately, I don't think it got nominated for anything, although I think it should have. But that yeah. being said, was there a horror movie, like even for anything? I'm, I'm looking and I don't, I don't believe so. <clears throat> I mean, there are certainly elements to a lot of these films, like The Father, I would consider a horror movie. I mean, I mean, it, that is, I mean, it's scary what happens, but I mean, a true horror movie, and I don't get it. I Because the Oscars came out, you know, after they aired on Sunday, and yesterday they said it's the lowest by far ratings nobody watches the oscars it's under 10 million people and that's like a 50 60 percent decline from last year which was the lowest year as well too and just nobody gives a shit because the it's not it's not good it's, it's i they almost had us when they said oh we're gonna do a fun category of like the biggest blockbusters the fun movies like with the horror and the the genre and the action and the block and the superheroes they didn't do it they just it's not fun to watch and who cares when it's just a group of you know your friends voting i don't know it's weird to me i think there should be a long overhaul everybody should be fired or disbanded and they start anew from voters to presidents to inner council whatever something needs to happen because oscars used to be fun they're not anymore and the fact that like genre films aren't really represented is pretty 
awful to me. What do you think? Am I in, am I alone on this Island Preston? No, I think um, there are quite a few movies that are of the horror cut from the horror cloth that I enjoyed last year that I think should have been recognized in some categories. Uh, you mentioned invisible man. Um, what's the other one? His house, right? Oh yeah. That's his house. What about Hunter Hunter? Yeah. No, <laughs> no, I wouldn't have put that in anywhere. <laughs> um, if they had like most shocking ending of all time. Um, um, yeah. Like even going back to like some of the stuff that Ari Aster has done, like camera work score. There's so many things that they could have done uh, in the past. I'm, I'm glad that get out got the recognition that it did when it, when it came out, but um, yeah, there's still, there's still some bigger steps to be made and for a lot of different reasons, not just genre, but I have to say this, this uh, past Oscars that happened over the weekend, I, I enjoyed it more, not the ending because of <laughs> if you've kept up with the news of that, it's pretty insane. It was pretty anticlimactic, <clears throat> but leading up to it, I really enjoyed that. The, I think it was done by Steven Soderbergh. So the mo- for, so the show had a bit of a filmic quality to it. I believe it was shot in 24 frames per second. So when they, and it's a smaller venue, so there wasn't as many people in the crowd. Um, and I just liked the intimate setting that it had. I liked that the, they're, they're in this particular case, there's, I mean, there's, and I love it when Billy Crystal does it. I love when they have all these fun things that they do, but I really enjoyed them taking the time to allow the winners to speak. Um, so they had more time to talk, even though it went over and they had to rush things like they always do at the very end. It was just really nice to hear people uh, just say what they wanted to say. Uh, you know, there are some cases where it is really nice for them to have that timer. So they're not rambling um, off like I am at this very moment, but um Daniel Kaluuya talking about his parents having sex like that was funny that was memorable Um, yeah so I don't know there's there's quite a few things that I that I enjoyed about it um it 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 seemed to bring up a lot of the things that uh the reason why I go to the movies is to have some thoughtful conversations and I feel like these people were putting some thoughtful words out there for people to chew on um with Daniel Kaluuya talking about Chairman Fred Hampton um Chloe Zhao, director of Nomadland, um, talking about people's voices. Um, so there, there were some great things that happened. It started off great. I would love that another round, which was one of my favorite movies of last year, got uh, best uh, international film. And um, so yeah, yeah, there's some there's some good things. Um, wasn't too happy like a lot of people that Frances McDormand won for Nomadland for Best Actress. Um, I, I wish Carrie Mulligan had won. So I guess Promising Young Woman kind of has uh, its horror elements. Horror too. elements, yeah. It won Best, um, best Screenplay. Best it, screenplay. Yeah, which I was very happy about. And uh, Anthony Hopkins uh, won his second Oscar for The Father, which was a really good performance. Would not have, it probably would have been my third one down the list with, uh, I wish Delroy Lindo had been nominated, but that's another story. But Chadwick Boseman was supposed to be the the winner of the night and the whole night was leading to that moment to happen. And it was gonna have this big emotional moment. 
and it didn't. Anthony Hopkins wasn't there. He was at his home in Wales. And so it was pretty much like Anthony Hopkins won. All right, he's not here. So uh, have a good night, everybody. So that was the thing. They didn't end with best pitcher. Best pitcher was announced third. Yeah, months. you just can't do that. And if if it's that that's the case, they should have let the director know who was going to win so they didn't build their whole show like that because it did end in like awkwardness yeah Flor- florian zeller the director of the father could have gone up there and accepted on his behalf or something just like it, it needs that that some sort of like poetic moment to, to have or just like something that feels like it's a bit of a celebration and not just like all right we'll see you later big gulps huh yeah, um, big gulps. Huh? Well, see you later. <laughs> they should have just put that clip on the end of the Oscars, and it would have been amazing. <sighs> yeah, it's it's just funny that Joaquin Phoenix is the guy at the very end that's doing doing it. Right. He should have just it. done the Joker character and just like, do you see Murray? <laughs> that would have yeah, been so yeah. good. Um, when you fuck a stranger in the ass, whole, whole different thing, <laughs> whole different thing. So, um, is there anything Mondo related we want to do before we get to our question? Um, yeah, there's a, um, there's a, a magnificent box set of the Justice League, uh, coming out that's like this $200 package that has like seven, four records seven, in it. Seven, 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 seven. So, um, yeah, that's going to be exciting. Um, so yeah, I, I'm looking forward to that one, uh, quite a bit just from an artistic standpoint. Um, it's all black and white. Um, is there any, yeah, all black and white looks good. Um, I don't remember if there's any big horror ones. A couple of re-releases. There's uh, like Josie and the Busty Cats getting their 20th anniversary um, coming up. I don't know if there's anything else. Quite a few posters that are coming out. Like they just announced an Alien one. Shazam! Shazam! Uh, they're doing that. They're doing that Shazam LP um, from Wallfish and it's a re-release but it looks amazing with all the comic book art and that's a two or three disc one as well so uh pretty cool mondo's doing some good stuff yeah i'm checking uh alien collection yep um look at their vinyl uh music loading time atomic blonde yeah that's a re-release love that soundtrack um so i talked about this uh feels like a year ago at this point uh halloween 3 uh is available now on the website so you can get that for 32 dollars. that's one of my favorite uh soundtracks of the entire halloween Halloween franchise halloween halloween yeah that's that Shazam one's fantastic with the artwork. Yeah, no, that's a good one. Very, very like, uh, like kid art, like a teenage kid art on their wall kind of look. Yeah, it's pretty good. Um, let's see, Nightmare City, The Last of Us. Um, I'm waiting for like a Saw franchise soundtrack from them because the Saw movies 
especially the first one has a killer soundtrack you know what they need you know what they really need to do is the mummy the mummy yes they do yes they do we're gonna get to that feature presentation very quickly very shortly but first we're gonna jump into our bloody question we're back with our bloody question we love the bloody question where we ask a question that's related to our feature presentation being the mummy we bring it to reddit we ask this one was a fun one one of those funny picture idea type of thing and we got quite a few comments some people went all out with it but the question today on the bloody question pitch a brendan fraser the mummy slash harrison ford indiana jones crossover movie that means if you could reboot the mummy franchise that starred brendan fraser and then add harrison ford as indiana jones into the mix for a crossover franchise film how would you navigate the story the character introductions and who would the villains be also who would star alongside brendan fraser and harrison ford who would direct this masterpiece would time travel be a factor or other planets come into the mix or would this be more of a horror comedy or something else that's the question preston let's start um mine's probably going to be the least cool one out of them all but i um i definitely want to maintain that horror comedy tone um which is uh reason why i love the mummy so much and I, I like the moments where uh, Harrison Ford seems like he's having a good time and uh, not being <laughs> as cranky. So, um, but that, that would play off pretty well because the energy of Brendan Fraser's Rick O'Connell is <clears throat> so different from uh, Indiana Jones that they're, they're butting heads the entire time would just be hilarious to me. So the idea would be that um, I want it to take place pretty sh- I want it to be like the new sequel. So I want to forget about Mummy Returns. And I want it to be um, somehow they run into each other while uh, investigating uh, a pyramid. And then they're able to find uh, the Book of the Dead and the the Human Ra. So the Golden Book of Life. And uh, Indiana Jones wants to put them in the museum but that's not the case with uh, Brendan Fraser. So they uh, battle each other the entire time. And then there's probably a third uh, or a third person in this mix that also wants it after the events have uh, spread from the first movie and people, more and more people know about its power because Jonathan couldn't keep his damn mouth shut. Um, so that's spread. Um, villain uh, wise, I want, it, I want it to be Peter Weller. Uh, to to be the villain of this, and he just so happens to be because he, he's playing himself. He's a very he's a Renaissance man. He's always studying, so he happens to be in Egypt. So it's not even a character. It's Peter Weller himself, and he becomes so fascinated with this uh, book that uh, bo- the power of both books that he wants it for himself. And so it's just these three guys all fighting each other to get this. So. Um, and then uh, shit goes uh, bananas after that. So uh, I'll, I'll fill in the void, uh, fill in those gray areas later. But that's a good starting point for me. Uh, that's a great starting point. I like that. I want to see this movie, and I'm glad you got your best friend in on this. Can we call him and tell him <laughs> our pitch? 
Yeah. Uh, yeah, sure. We can do that. He's <laughs> like, who's calling hey, me? Hey, hey. <laughs> what, what, what is this? Yeah, I don't want to talk about that. That's is there good. money in this? No. Right, right. All right. So my pitch would be, so Indiana and Rick are would be roughly the same age because the first mummy takes kind of place in the 20s where uh, the last crusade kind of takes place in the uh, what, late, late 30s, 40s. So I would imagine they'd kind of be around the same age, but it would take place right after last crusade. And um, Brandon Fraser's character and Harrison Ford's character, Rick and in Indiana would just inadvertently cross paths um, at like a museum, like an opening of a museum. And there is like kind of like almost a terrorist attack and Indiana and uh, Rick are taken hostage and then frozen that their, their bodies are completely frozen. They're, they're stored. Nobody hears from them until present day. And they are thawed out somehow. And, and Mel Gibson is the villain. No, no, Denzel Washington is the villain. Here. <laughs> Denzel Washington is the villain here. And basically the world has become like this kind of post-apocalyptic uh, world where, you know, all the art, all the movies, all the history has been stored away. And it's kind of like this somewhat utopia where who was ever behind this utopia, very demolition man, are very sinister people. And so Indiana and Brennan Fraser with their old school ways have to uncover all these different artifacts to bring back the world as it once was. Mm. And Denzel Washington is the main villain who's behind it all and directing the movie will definitely be Barry Sonnenfeld. I think he'd do a great job at it. I like Barry Sonnenfeld. I would like to see his take on that. Um, but yeah, that would be my movie. It would be kind of futuristic, but bring back all some of the original elements. And uh, yeah, Frozen in Time. I think I went really weird with it, but that's where I am at. So that's what the title would be? The Mummy colon Frozen in Time? Yes, yes. So let it go. Let and it mine go. would be The Mummy versus Peter Weller. <laughs> uh, and then as a stinger after the credits Indy present day and and Rick present day they're doing their thing and all of a sudden they're just kind of joking having maybe a little glass of scotch reading some books and then in walks Tom Cruise from the mummy let's get a let's get the band together so that's where I'd be you'd watch it right yeah I'd watch it <laughs> I feel like you should direct it though. I would love to direct it. Scratch that. No Barry Sonnenfeld. Brian Kluger directing. I'll write it. Let's move on to the Reddit answers, the Reddit replies. People went all out here. Very excited about this. I have not read any of them, but I can't wait to tell you about this. First up is DM Sup says Harrison Ford as Indy is charged with a mission by the John Hanna. He's been asked to traverse the globe searching for Rick O'Connell, played by Brendan Fraser, 
Why, you may ask? According to modern folklore, Rick is in his everlasting battle against the resurrected dead, has led him to believe that to finally vanquish mummies from the mortal plane, he must destroy them in the next life. So by ritual sacrifice, he, he passed on from his life. Indy, accompanied by Jonathan Carnahan, battled the living and the dead in the plains of the living and dead to only resurrect Rick O'Connell. What do you think? So they're, they're having the inception layers of uh, battling within the death realm? Yes. Yes, that's what they're saying. <laughs> that, I mean, that'd be cool. Yep. Ted Red West responded to that and said, I'd watch it as I would. Um, Jay Newman 119 said... I would set it after Kingdom of Crystal Skull. Marion has passed and Indy and his son don't talk a lot. He has taken under his wing a student played by Chris Pratt, who is kind of a goofball, but is a hard worker and respects Indy. Indy receives a letter from the U.S. government asking to meet in Washington to consult on a problem in Egypt. The Library of Alexandria was entirely lost in a fire. It was saved by the Mejai. That's right, I'm pronouncing that right. Correct? The Mejai? Yes. Yeah. The government introduces another consultant to Indy. Magi. Rick O'Connell. Brendan Fraser. Chris Pratt looks up at Rick and says, Dad, together the three are sent to Egypt to protect the remnants of the library from a former Nazi operative trying to access the knowledge of the library in order to raise an army of mummies. The title would be Indiana Jones and the Last Mummy, directed by Steven Spielberg. All right, all right. So there is that. Um, Batman the Merciless. Oh, this is the last one I'm going to read. I'm just going to go the full mile, says Batman the Merciless. Cross it over with Stargate and say that Indy went back to Egypt following rumors of the Stargate popping up nearly 40 years after it was discovered, which the college found out about somehow. He's still married to Marion and Mutt is his son. But say that he was killed during an adventure and that Marion and Indy have been growing apart ever since. He's concerned with keeping his mind busy with adventure and archaeology to cope that she's afraid to lose another loved one. Movie goes on, Indy crosses over into the Stargate and boom, Rick O'Connell is on the other side, having heard of the rediscovery and thinking he could turn a lucrative profit on the riches of it or some such. They proceed to have this big, huge adventure on the other side, having to avoid Ra and his forces while they find an artifact, let's say the Spear of Anubis, <laughs> to get them back home. They squabble and don't get along at first, but gradually bond as it goes on with both relaying tales of their absurd adventures. Indy would say, you know, I've seen aliens before, drink from the Holy Grail too, while Rick says, well, hell, that ain't nothing. I fought mummies and giant half scorpion men. By the end, they barely scrape through by the skin of their teeth, shattering the artifact once they get to the other side to prevent Ra from crossing over as well. Archaeologists ask what they found. They both look at each other, then at the archaeologists, and they say, trouble. Movie jumps five years later with Marion and Evie teaming along as they board a plane for an adventure. The final shot is the warehouse from Raiders with a man storing away the remains of the staff amid the myriad of boxes. And that's how that ends. He went into that. 
<laughs> yeah, I was like visualizing a scene like in Jaws when they're all at the table showing each other their scars. That would be so amazing. It would be that scene. And then, oh man, even uh, Chasing Amy comes up when they're showing their scars. Oh, that's great. Uh, <laughs> directed by Kevin Smith. Uh, okay, okay. That is, um, that is. Uh, you think he inspired anybody there? Are they going to get into some fan fiction? And then you just lost out on all the profits. I know, right? I feel like, man, uh, well, I mean, he did. He's the only one that put a love triangle in there with Marion and Indy and all that stuff. So uh, that could definitely be fan fiction. I'm surprised there isn't a fan fiction on it already. There probably is. But let's move on to Bloody Tunes. Preston, did you have a Bloody Tune this week? I mean, it's really hard not to mention Inter Sandman. <laughs> so are you going to do the double feature song of the mummy for bloody tunes a song where it's related to the mummy you're going to do inner sandman my metallica and then mr sandman bring me a dream (laughs) well that's like probably musically closer to uh the mummy movie um but i don't know like uh at the like 99 early 2000s that's when you got all that real rocker 97 won the eagle type of music so you have to you have to throw that on there because uh uh hell godsmack did the uh scorpion king uh song at the very end of the movie that plays at the, the credits i stand alone so might as well put put some metallica on there put some metallica on there man inner salmon it's a perfect choice preston perfect i can see the music video cut together right now <laughs> um i didn't go sand with 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 the mouth opening in the sand yes what and it's it's james hetfield's head right (laughs) yeah yeah they just do that yeah that'd be great i like it i like it um i guess mine i didn't go sand with it but when you think about the mummy and you think about brendan fraser and marion and all these people you know looking for clues, looking for stuff, reading hieroglyphics, looking for what you may call the signs that point to the past, to the mummies, to how things are going. There's a lot of clues, a lot of signs in the film that uh, a lot of markers in the film. So I went with the fantastic 1971 hit Signs by the Five Man Electrical Band. I like that song a lot just because Brendan Fraser and Marion, they're looking for signs to solve everything and to get away and to survive and to read about these these horrific zombie mummies the undead or that's where we could do a bloodhound gang and do uh hieroglyphics let me be pacific i want to be down in your south seas oh that's a good one (laughs) i like it or i mean did we not think of walk like an egyptian yeah 
I guess. <laughs> Walk like an Egyptian. Uh, yeah, those are our bloody tunes. Uh, we'll, we'll be posting that on our site so you can watch the videos. Maybe you can buy the single for that, those songs. But yes, Inner Sandman and then Signs, good stuff there. On to my bloody recommendations. Preston, start us out, please. So there's a new movie that's out that came out on April 23rd and it's called Bloodthirsty. And uh, I quite enjoyed this movie. Um, it's uh, the, when you look at the poster and you look at certain images, it reminded me of Raw. And so that was the reason why I was sucked into it. Cause even when you watch the trailer, it definitely has this raw kind of vibe to it with uh, there's even a shot of a, a woman open a refrigerator to grab a piece of meat that is on it because it's like developing a hunger. But the, the movie is about a indie singer who um, just put out her first album and it was a smashing success. And so she's uh, her fans uh, are hu hungry for more and they, they want that next album to come out. And so this is uh, kind of delving into the creative process uh, by way of like like therapy, if you want to call it that. Um, so uh, the the singer, she teams up with this producer who's very famous. However, he's also attached to this um, story that came out quite a few years ago, where uh, he was uh, trialed for the murder of this singer. Um, but he was acquitted and so all is well, but he still has that on that stain on his uh, career. Um, so he has this mansion, this remote mansion out in the woods and um, he invites uh, this, this woman whose name is Gray and her, and her girlfriend to come out there and uh, just kind of find uh, the truth and develop this, this, uh, this, next great album and then uh true the truth of who gray is begins to slowly reveal itself um she when early on in the movie she begins to have visions of being like a werewolf and eating things eating people eating animals things like that um and uh she's been scared of it going to the doctor and the doctor's played by michael ironside yes uh, for a brief moment um and so uh, this producer is kind of like uh, dig into that a little bit more, dig into those primal instincts that you have. There's don't be afraid of it, like just explore it because that's the real you. So there's all these like nice moments of uh, of of conversation that they have together. It's nothing like super deep or anything like that. You can tell that the the screenwriters are trying a little bit, um, but it, it never felt inauthentic to me. Um, the movie, like I was uh, wanting with the Mortal Kombat movie is very contained. It all pretty much takes place at this one location and it takes probably the first hour until like some of these really scary things start to happen. Uh, there's just like little teases here and there that uh, keep you interested in uh, interested in what what happens. Um, so yeah, it's uh, it reminded me of Raw. Reminded me of Let the Right One In. 
um, American Werewolf in London uh, because of the transformation, uh, like the things that they can accomplish with, with their budget. Um, uh, it reminded me of something else, but I, I noted it earlier, but I can't recall right now. Oh, probably like the, the relationship between the producer and the, the singer remind me a little bit of uh, Luke and Ray in The Last Jedi because he has this very, he's very eccentric, has this odd way of doing things. Um, and uh, it just uh, brings out some really interesting things. So not a bad movie, uh, solid, pretty solid. Uh, not super great, but solid. Where can you find it again? Uh, it's available in theaters and you can, uh, I think in theaters, I wanna say I saw it at the, that it's listed at the drive-in, but um, you can watch it on demand and in digital. Perfect, perfect, perfect. Bloodthirsty. Bloodthirsty, good stuff. Um, uh, my Mine is very on the nose here, but I just love this movie. I got to recommend it. And no, it's not Abbott and Costello meet the mummy where, um, where in one scene, Lou mistakes that cursed medallion of the mummy for a cheeseburger. And no, it's not Monster Squad, which is has unarguably one of the coolest mummies in cinema. No, I am talking about the Bruce Campbell special, Bubba Hotep. It is small in nature, but it has all the fun and adventure that the Brendan Fraser mummy has. Equally likable characters, zany, wild, and fun. Bubba Hotep uh, is just too odd and weird and strange for words to describe but it is a fantastic and wonderful movie watch um watch Bubba Hotep if you have not watched it before it is fantastic that's my that's my pick and find and find our episode on that we have a full episode out there somewhere on that one we sure do Bubba Hotep I don't know what um it was one of the earlier ones I want to say it was probably like 2017 or 2018 or something that is true that is true but that bloody recommendation brings us to our feature presentation 1999's the mummy directed and written by stephen summers this movie came out may 7th 1999 kind of like almost uh to the day uh as we're recording this the movie was a little over two hours the budget was 80 million, which for back in the 90s was pretty big. And the movie made a ton of money, made half a billion dollars at the box office, went on to spawn multiple sequels, and starred Brendan Fraser, Rachel Weiss, John Hanna, Arnold Vosloo, Jonathan Hyde, Kevin J. O'Connor, and of course, music by the fantastic and amazing and much missed Jerry Goldsmith, The Mummy. First off, Preston, I know this movie means a lot to you. I know that uh, you just adore this movie every single bit. So please start this main, main feature presentation of The Mummy out by telling our listeners how you became to watch it and why you still um, view this movie with your family today so often. Yeah, Um there's very few movies in my life where I was just so completely invested in the material afterwards that uh, like Titanic was one, Terminator 2 was another. 
Um, I want to say that the mummy was probably the last one, you know, outside of like drive um, where I just like came so completely obsessed with it uh, leading into high school that I, when I saw it, I saw it in theaters, my, my parents took me and I saw it with my friend, man, I probably saw that movie probably 15 times in the theater, something ridiculous. Um, so Titanic and, and uh, The Mummy and The Dark Knight are the movies that I've seen the most in theaters and they're probably like 10 and above. Maybe, maybe Harry Potter movies too. Um, so yeah, this movie, I just, I just completely absorbed it. I was taking classes on ancient Egypt. I, there was a college for kids because I was nine when this movie came out. <laughs> Um, <laughs> I was so I, uh, just I was 18. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I was nine and uh, in my hometown of Denton, Texas, the, there's a school up there called Texas Women's University and they do college for kids. And so I, at that, I, I would take all these classes like rocketeering and stuff like that, uh, cr criminal justice. And uh, I took multiple classes of ancient Egypt and just started studying hieroglyphics uh, Egyptian sculptures just I was going to Hastings video in my town and getting documentaries getting books um, just taking it all in I so obsessed with it I went to stores to buy the leather bands that Rick O'Connell has because I just thought that was so badass like that and having rings like you had to have that and then I got the um what else uh I grew my hair out to make it look like his too. Cause I mean, the way it seems like you're describing like a very early um, a pirate from Pirates of the Caribbean, like with like the leather bands and the rings and stuff, the longer hair. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Pir Pirates of the Caribbean was like the next uh, blockbuster of that same kind of tone. Uh so yeah, I, I kind of became obsessed with that too because there's there's cool with the the costume is just fantastic in the mummy. So um, yeah, I loved it. And so this is the movie that uh, my wife and I bond over. Even though Dumb and Dumber is in our vows when we got married, the Mummy is the movie that we watch multiple times a year. I'm not even kidding. We probably watch it once a month. Um, so it's probably the movie that I've seen the most in my life. How'd you bond um, over it? When did y'all first watch it? Why'd y'all bond over it? Um, we, <clears throat> because uh, when we when we first started going out, uh, naturally I'm a movie guy. So we started talking about like our favorite movies. And that was the reason why uh, she and I uh, started dating really, or how I became interested. Um, I think I may have told this story before, but we met at the movies. And um, then we went on our first date at a movie. And then our second one was just uh, sharing our favorite movies with each other. So at that time, when I was 19, she was 18. I showed her The Departed and she showed me Wicker Park. <laughs> <laughs> and I had never seen Wicker Park. Um, so we watched that and then we watched Biodome together and then it just became like, what are else are our favorite movies? And so that was one of the movies that we both lined up on. And so it was, it was that first year of dating, we just started watching it and it was the movie that we could just kind of like the office put it put it on you've seen it so many times that you can just let it lull you to sleep but you were gonna say something go ahead no but well, okay so you said biodome is brennan frazier in biodome for a split second because i know he's in a lot of 
uh, Pauly he's, Shore movies. He's in Son-in-Law. I don't believe he pops up in Biodome. So yeah, Dang. he plays his Encino main character in Son-in-Law. In- he does it in another one or two as well. And I'm trying to remember if it's Jury Duty or if it's uh, Biodome. I don't. Jack Black's in Biodome. Um, I can't. I don't. I don't think so. Jury oh, Duty. Oh, oh. I didn't love as much, but in the Army now, that's that's probably our second movie together yes. that we watched the most. Um, Holly Shore is a big part of your relationship. He, he is, <laughs> and we've seen him live, and uh, and we wanted to tell him that. I was like, yeah, you're 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 uh, the reason why we uh, our relationship so strong. That's good. The we easel. Um, but Brendan Fraser in the Mummy Man. So this is like the movie for you guys. I'm glad you watched this once a month. Uh, does your son? Has your son caught on to this movie yet, or does he not understand no, it yet? No, not going to show him this because uh, he'd be scared to death. Um, so <laughs> we'll probably wait until he's like around my age when I saw this. So probably eight or so. We'll probably do that. But um, yeah, because we've, I mean, we showed him uh, Ninja Turtles, the 90s one, this past week. And man, that was a bad decision. <laughs> oh, <laughs> was, did, uh, did Shredder scare him? uh shredder and the ninjas uh yeah uh, yeah so it's just scary imagery in there so uh yeah not not gonna and, and he started he's uh he said damn because uh we're we went on common sense media to see like oh what, i can't remember like what cuss words they had and things like that oh yeah Raphael yells damn like across the city yeah so it's different it's different when you watch a movie and they just quickly throw it in because you can move past it really quick. But when he's just like, damn. Yeah, we have to think about those things. And so, uh, yeah, we can't show him the mummy uh, for that reason as well. Okay, okay. So that's how you started out. I, I mean, I saw this in the theater when I was 18 uh, in high school. And I just remember loving it because I loved Indiana Jones. I loved Brendan Fraser, you know, from, I mean, because... This movie kind of superstardomed Brendan Fraser, sh- showed him like he's like the big action blockbuster star you can bank on. And because earlier than that, it was kind of like, you know, either small, you know, comedic, silly, or uh, comedia, uh, comedy drama type stuff, either romantic stuff as well. But this movie really brought him out. But there's something about this movie when I first saw it, I was like, man, this is just loads of fun and for 1999 relatively not a first-time director but a big budget as this for steven somers the visual effects of this movie still hold up quite a bit um surprisingly so like watching it now on a 4k tv and 4k and stuff like that man i was like from 1999 all these cgi effects i mean some are a little worse than others but 95 96 percent of them was like man this could have been made today this still looks good and it doesn't take away from any aspect of the movie it still feels like a smaller movie about you know a dude who comes across and meets another group of people and they all kind of become friends and then everybody's kind of taken off but there's Steven Summers really mixed a great blend of horror because there's some straight horror in this action adventure and comedy in here but you also have dramatic and romantic elements so it's kind of like a concoction of ingredients that made it's kind of this like, 
It's kind of like what Simon uh, Pegg says in uh, oh, what was it, that movie? Uh, like the World's End? No, the, there's like a marketing movie. had a long title, How to... Oh, yes. I remember now. So anyway, he's talking about how Con Air is like the greatest movie of all time because it has all these different genres in it. And that's what you need to have to be a successful film. And The Mummy has that. The Mummy has that. Army of Darkness has that. And unarguably, Army of Darkness and The Mummy have a lot of the same elements to it as well. Um, But we'll get into that. So with... what was your relationship with Brendan Fraser movies leading into this? So with Brendan Fraser prior to 1999, I mean, I, I mean, the first time I really saw him was Encino Man, but at the same yeah. time as Encino Man was School Ties, which, you know, yeah. it's close to home, which is a very serious movie. It's one of his dramatic ones about um, anti-Semitism. But Encino Man and School Ties, I really love those. And so after Encino Man, you're just like, oh, he's the, the funny guy. And you saw him in Son-in-Law for like a split second. And then in Airheads, you're like, holy oh shit. Airheads yeah. is amazing and so good on so many artistic levels that it's so underrated. But in a movie of goofiness, Brendan Fraser plays that role straight. It makes it cool to... I don't know, makes cool, cool. I don't know, something like that. Um, He's in in the army now. Um, And then I guess he did George of the Jungle, which I saw in the theater, which, you know, I liked and, you know, was silly, but I enjoyed it. And then he was in Gods and Monsters, which I remember seeing that. And then in Blast from the Past, which I remember seeing the theater. I've kind of gone to see every one of his movies, but it wasn't until The Mummy where you realize wow, he really took over Harrison Ford. He really took over Arnold Schwarzenegger. He is the leading action guy. And, but all those movies that came before it, if you go back and look at it, they are so good. And his acting is so nuanced and subtle in certain ways that you're just like, man, how do you not like this dude? How do you not like this guy? Because going from Encino Man, where you're not really talking, but uh in english to school ties to um to something like george of the jungle or even blast from the past i mean that's pretty amazing so that's where i come in from that already really liking him but even liking him more and saying like holy shit he can carry a you know a superhero franchise what do you think no i'm with you 100 i grew up with on his entire filmography. I didn't watch Gods and Monsters until later, but I did watch School Ties and of course seen the Sino Man. George of the Jungle was around, I was seven when that movie came out. So that's more my age and I enjoyed it. We watched it not too long ago with my son and that movie, uh, I mean, it's, it's dumb in parts, but there's some good jokes in it. And I really think it comes from the narration <laughs> and so in uh, his energy, like Brendan Fraser's energy is just like, you it's just unbeatable. Like he can go to these certain levels. Like he, he can yell. I mean, in the mummy, he screams back at the mummy as he's screaming at him. Uh, there's like just no other person that really can quite do that. Um, no, and, and, I, and I love that. Emma, and yeah. sarcastic. So yeah, um, he, he's got that leading man quality that, that, that screen sizzle for sure. No. And I love that you brought and, up and, that. And, and blast from the past. 
ahead. Yeah, blast from the past. Yeah, no, but I love that element that you brought up with the mummy screaming at him and his only reaction is to scream back at it. And that's a very, I feel like Bruce Campbell moment or even like, cause you don't, I mean, in movies like this prior, the main protagonist would never do that. The main hero would never do that. But Brendan Fraser owned it. It like, like that was a real reaction to me. Yeah, and that'll be one of the pluses that we'll talk about with this entire film is just all throughout. It just seems like they allowed the actors to kind of let go. Even the guy who plays Benny, um, he he just says stuff that are just hilarious uh, throughout. Like there's that, that one bit after the, the sand wall where he's just like, oh, I love that thing that you did with the sand wall bastard. And it, it's just like, those are the moments that I remember. And the way that, Brendan Fraser delivers his lines uh like they're not like the best one-liners but he elevates them it makes them good like they could be like uh trouble's coming or like they're just like matter of fact kind of lines but he puts like a little little thing little pizzazz just something that makes it a little bit better like him saying hey Benny uh looks like you're on the the wrong side of the river the way that he says that line, I don't think another actor would quite deliver it the same way. Um, so yeah, we we are big Brendan Fraser fans over here. We are. I mean, he just leads this movie. So the mummy, you know, how does one take the mummy? Like you have a story by Kevin Jar, Stephen Somers, and Lloyd um, Foynevel, and then Stephen Somers wrote the screenplay. And there's just a there's there's a lot that's going on in this movie because you know it shows in the 1200s um the pharaoh um and the high priest um emotep there's a there's a there's an affair going on things happen the mummy is ha- the, the mummy is made uh buried alive with these these uh these flesh eating beetles and then you cut to um like right before world war ii in 1926 and you meet rick played by um brendan fraser who is kind of taken hostage after he's doing his thing and then he crosses paths with um uh what's his name jonathan yeah Yeah. jonathan carnahan and his sister evie who's a librarian and she uh is an expert in uh at egypt and the mummy and the whole thing and that crosses paths with a a prisoner of Brendan Fraser who has lots of long hair and he's unkempt and kind of like in the next scene they're about to board a boat they're about to go an adventure to this mummy in Egypt Brendan Fraser's looking suave dapper handsome man he's one of the most handsome men ever and they really get into it they find all the tombs they find all this stuff and then this mummy has to suck the souls out of the living to regain uh, his human form. And just, it, and then in addition to that, there's a lot of people that are working with them, working against them. And then they even have characters who you kind of like, and then you kind of don't like. Uh, I don't know. There's just a lot to this movie that I think where Steven Summers and Universal Pictures really catered to have it play to all audiences because there's stuff in there for kids there's stuff in there for adults there's stuff in there 
for people like romance stuff in there for people like horror. I think that's all in there in this all encompassing movie. Would you agree? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know. There's a lot to, to be said with so many different things uh, that you had brought up. Um, but yeah, I think even from the get go at the opening, you're just kind of, you're pulled into this, this universe um, with uh what's his name Ardeth Bay who played by uh Odith Farr who does the narration he's one of the one of the uh protectors of of uh this curse like making sure that Imhotep doesn't rise from the dead um so he's like one of the pharaoh's people from thousands of years on um and his narration, and I, my relationship with narration is kind of like hit or miss. I, uh, there's times where I really like it, but this is like, because you're being pulled into a, like a fairy tale, essentially. It's, this is one of those moments where it's just really soothing and you're getting this really nice backstory of this relationship. So it's helping you understand the beauty before the monster, before Imhotep becomes the monster. And that's, that's, that's good storytelling. Uh, for them to do even though it's like uh, a lot of stuff that happens in this movie there's stereotypes there's things that you recognize um, that you can fault the movie for but the movie just does a, such a great job and has so much fun and it is a really well done adventure film with thrills high stakes um, love all those genre elements that you had brought up earlier all coming together really well that you can just kind of forgive all those shortcomings that especially now when we watch movies, we have different expectations for blockbusters where we want to feel like we're, our intelligence isn't being insulted or anything like that. But this one, it knows what it is because there's like moments of Rick O'Connell saying, uh, save the damsel in distress, defeat the bad guy, save the world. Okay, sounds simple enough. So it's just... It has uh, this uh, meta humor to it where it just like knows what it is and it has fun with it. So uh, yeah, of course I can go through the entire movie and start making fun of it. I can make fun of like the curse itself. Why Imhotep gets this curse, like this elaborate curse. And then if it goes the way that Imhotep wants, he gets all this, he has superpowers. Why did the Pharaoh do that? Why couldn't he have just killed the guy? And then that would have been it, um, and, but there would be no movie. So um, I just I just have so much fun with it. I can quote it front to back. I I I just adore it. I love all the characters, even the ones that you said like there's people that you don't like in the movie. Even the people you don't like, you like because they have a charm to them. The guy that uh, is the the prison that has that owns the prison. And then gets uh, killed by that that uh, that scarab, that beetle that's going through his body, and he and he like yells and has all these grunts, um, and, but you can't help but love him. So everybody can't help. No, but love him. right? Yeah, you you just like everyone in this movie, even if they're terrible. I love and I love the element to this, you know, how they did it because they could have done this terribly, but I loved that Emotep is deathly afraid of cats, like a house cat. And it's so great once Brendan Fraser's character, Rick, figures this out. <laughs> and they did it so perfectly, right? 
Yeah, they did. I'm surprised that they didn't use it for the rest of the movie. Well, because I'm trying to think because the first like the two or three times you see it happen, he, I mean, Emotep is just like, he's, he's sucking souls out. He's vicious. And then all of a sudden he just sees this little house cat, a little white house cat. And he just screams. He turns into sand and runs off. And, <laughs> and you see Brendan Fraser like, Huh. And then he uses it. And I wonder, I mean, if I guess, how would the movie go if it was, if they were going to use that the whole way through, you know? A cat's suit. It's just the ending of the movie Cats. <laughs> There's a song and dance. Yeah. <laughs> but I love that element to it. And I loved how they brought in, you know, you know, kind of like the, the, the red shirts in yeah. uh, where, you know, there's all these different people. They're all handsome men. There's women and they all look like they're going to be around for a lot of the movie, but it's just a way for them to be killed off by the bad guys. But I felt like their deaths were pretty much earned, even if you didn't like some of them more than others, but I just liked that they had there, but they were all distinguishable, but um, yeah. We men. The, 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 the only one that, hurts me now to watch is the guy who's uh doesn't have the best vision like he's the first one to go right because well, he loses his vision though i mean he's in the dark take, and it's he, he takes he takes his eyes um so there's like no respect for poetic justice there that oh this man's been suffering his whole life with no eyes i'm gonna take his eyes yeah <laughs> um sorry too bad you took my uh my lover's organs and so you're gonna you're gonna suffer the consequences of that yeah yeah for sure uh do you think the visual effects hold up still like we talked about yeah i think they do there's i mean there's some moments here and there where like it could use like a 2021 render pass but for the most part um yeah like from the opening shot which uh it's cool because you can watch the D the the dvd or blu-ray extras uh for this and there's like it's completely focused on there's like all these different pieces on uh the work that went into the visual effects like uh hiring ilm um george lucas's people and uh because they were filming doing star wars uh phantom menace at the same time um so they were able to kind of figure out like what would work what wouldn't work um so these were like some of the early uh moments of of them like just laying down the groundwork of what uh special effects are today but just being able to like watch some of the extras that you watch uh, Brendan Fraser kick around, throw around a sword. And they didn't have mocap suits back then. They just put them in there later for when he's fighting the mummies. Um, and then all the work and detail that went into creating the uh, Imhotep in his uh, decomposed form, um, the way that his jaw moves, uh, muscles, tissue, and how it moves around in certain ways. Yeah, it's pretty impressive that they were able to do what they did in 99. Um, uh, the backdrops, just all throughout, there's quite quite a few uh, moments that are still just stunning to this day. There, They are. They really are good. I want to bring up one of my favorite characters of the movie, and I want to hear your take, Preston, because I know you've seen it way more than I have. But I want to know if you think this character needs his own movie, his own. Yes. I just, I just loved this character so much. And I don't know if you know who I'm going to say, but 
his character is just so great and funny, but his, his life ends too soon. And that's Captain Winston Havelock. This dude uh, yeah. Ha, ha. Yeah. sits on a dune, has somebody hold an umbrella, and he's got a gramophone listening to music in the middle of nowhere, waiting for an adventure. <laughs> I mean, this guy is amazing. And I mean, his death scene, I mean, it's cool. He got to do what he wanted he to do. He dies with in a life. smile on his face. He does. Like, it's kind of like the Dignan character in Bottle Rocket. All Dignan wanted to do was be a criminal. He got to be a criminal. This guy wanted to be like this excellent, save the world type of dude. He got to do it. He died trying. And his death was, you know, just being one with the earth, basically, in quicksand. What do you think about this character? Should it have been different? Should they have done something different? Should they have kept him around longer? What do you think? Um, yeah, what I loved him just because they they kind of bring another character into the second one that is that same kind of uh, eccentric type uh, who has uh, like that that blimp that he has in the second one. So it, it's almost like they they realize that they like oh man we shot ourselves in the foot that that was such a, a great character for the little moments that he had on, on film. So yeah, he wholeheartedly, I would have given that guy his, uh, his own movie. Um, he's, he pops up in Titanic too, as uh, Archibald Gracie, where he's like, he, he just, is, he's very much that guy that's like, yeah, yeah. he's just yeah. like, <laughs> very yeah, aristocratic yeah. Brit dude. Um, so yeah. Uh, yeah. The, the, the actor is Bernard Fox and yeah. um he his last movie for the most part was this mummy film right before that was titanic but um he was the voice of the chairman and doctor and the rescuers down under from 1990 uh he's been in a myriad of tv shows he's just is a cool character actor and they cast him perfectly for this yeah he, he'd make a good monopoly guy he he would so and with the 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 Beatles, the little scarabs, the would you put yeah. those along with some of the scarier little miniature characters in horror films? Yeah, it made me deathly afraid of bugs uh, when I was a kid because nobody likes the image of something slowly eating you to death or quickly eating you to death as these creatures, uh, these little things do. Um, you can just be uh, so. When I was a kid. I wasn't playing lava. I was playing uh, avoid the beetles, uh, <laughs> avoid the scarabs. So I would not get on the ground because if you have the high ground, you're okay. Um, but yeah, like the, the moment that I mentioned earlier with the guy having the beetle inside of his skin. Yeah, I don't want, I don't, I don't want to imagine what that pain is like. So yeah, uh, they're very frightening. No, that's really cool. That's really cool. Uh, Let's talk about some of the behind the scenes of this movie because before it landed on Steven Summers, before it landed on Brendan Fraser, mm -hmm. there were some pretty crazy people involved with this movie. So uh, originally, or originally it looked like Clive Barker, you know, of Hellraiser fame was brought on. That didn't work. And then Joe Dante of Gremlins fame brought on and he wanted Daniel Day-Lewis yeah. to become on as like, you know, good guy. I can't imagine what him as the mummy. Uh, but then 
They brought in George A. Romero, Night of the Living Dead, Dawn of the Dead, magnificent legend to come in and write and talk about his version of the undead in this movie. Um, And then Mick Garris, horror legend, Wes Craven was brought in. Like, this is really crazy, right? Yeah, it's clear that the studio really wanted to put take the mummy from its 30s feel to bring it into the modern and have this like action adventure element. Um, So yeah, I mean, it is cool to fantasize like what it would have been like, um, but I, I, it wouldn't have the quite the adventurous Indiana Jones feel I would think that it has today if those other filmmakers had stepped in. It probably would lean more into maybe some of the mythology, the horror, uh, especially if Clyde Barker, McGarris, like in uh, West Craven, like there's just that their interest would be elsewhere. You would need somebody who did the Jungle Book from the '90s, which I love that movie, and then Deep Rising. Even though it is a uh, horror movie, there's a I mean it has uh, Kevin J O'Connor in it who plays Benny in that movie, but it has that adventure hero um romantic feel throughout it and so it's a great carryover so he was uh to me the perfect person to uh take it uh to take the torch no that was that is it is pretty good in uh at one point leo was attached to play rick o'connell yeah he couldn't make it work because he was doing the beach yeah that brad pitt matt damon ben affleck and even tom cruise was offered the role of rick o'connell but went to brendan frazier i mean the and out of all of those people i think stephen summers hit it on the head with wanting to have like a robin hood-esque errol flynn look to him and that is brendan frazier yeah, I'm very excited about that. Rachel Weiss did a great job. We've seen her in tons of stuff. This is just a pretty crazy cast. Um, and then, like, they didn't film it really in L.A. They filmed in Morocco. They filmed in the U.K. They filmed in the Sahara Desert. Because uh, yeah, they were having so much trouble shooting the guns because it got so much sand lodged up in there that they couldn't fire the guns to make it look good, so they had to do it digitally. Right, right. And then... They spent, I think, roughly 25% of the budget at George Lucas's Industrial Light and Magic ILM to do all the visual effects, which is pretty crazy. (laughs) It's a lot of money. Um, And yeah, of course, Jerry Goldsmith, you know, one of my favorite scores of all time is a Jerry Jerry Goldsmith score, but this score is still amazing. I mean, it's it's so good. It has everything you'd want in a music score to accompany this movie. I think. Yeah, I think so too. It's pretty incredible. I still listen to it on its own. And just to prove how much money this movie made, the mummy opened pretty much alongside star Wars episode one, the Phantom Menace and the mummy came in second. I mean, you know, you're not going to be a star Wars movie in the box office, but mummy mummy doing well and still to this day it's getting good reviews people are coming back to it enjoying it or not even just coming back and realizing it they're just saying like this is still an amazing film yeah i mean my love for this movie has been around before that viral bumper sticker uh went out 
that that's out there with uh, I'd rather be at home watching the mummy if you're driving on the highway just or at a stoplight and you see that um and then uh Bernie Fraser I guess he was at a steakhouse and he like signed <laughs> it and so that 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 went out there so he's just a a really nice guy and I, I hate that uh as as much as this movie helped to launch his career it also kind of destroyed him a little bit too um and that sad story about everything that he faced the trauma and everything uh, like his vocal cords were messed up he the scene where he uh is hung in the movie is hanged uh he actually hung himself it was a real rope and if you watch the Brendan Fraser's audio commentary he talks about the definitive uh version or of like what happened um so yeah it was a real rope and then he the shots of him where he's uh looks like he's like really going for it it is actually happening to him and he had to be revived which is crazy because that scene when he's being hanged it I mean, you look at it and you're like, man, that looked exactly real. And it was real. Like some movies make it look, uh, you know, like, okay, yeah, there's a thing under there. There's a thing under there. But like, man, this did not look like that. This, <laughs> this did not look good. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it was scary watching it when you were a kid and you just see the long shot of him when he drops. And I know that it's a stunt man. Uh, Cause he said like, yeah, if you really zoom in, you can tell that it's not me, but the stuntman looks really a lot like him. But uh, it, it makes it feel more real. Um, <clears throat> it should have probably had, like when he cleans up after the fact, he probably should have had some scars around his neck and bruising. Um, but um, yeah, that, that scene's pretty terrifying. It is very Especially terrifying. Now. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's kind of painful to watch and uh, you just feel for him. But yeah, this movie stands the test of time. You know, it's been around 22 years and it's it's still good. It, it still feels relevant and modern and great. And I want to say like with action adventure picks, you know, say what you will about Marvel and DC stuff, like they're good, but there's it doesn't feel like there's something... I don't know if it's a nostalgic way or just something all encompassing for family and friends that it, it, this movie still stands the test of time. It still feels just like a good, warm natured movie. I don't know. I don't think they make movies like this anymore. Not really. Um, probably the one that's most comparable uh, to the, that I've recognized is uh, Welcome to the Jungle, the Jumanji movies, like uh, the new ones, just because they do have that adventurous feel. They have that that particular setting and there's a lot of fun to be had. And um, so the, the, that's also uh, the, Welcome to the Jungle is the one that we watch the most, but we do watch the uh, second one, the next level uh, quite a bit too. But uh, yeah, we love that, that when we're looking for that um action block but like this is peak blockbuster for us like whenever we want to watch something that looks good on the screen it sounds good and are people that we love and characters that we love um and we know what emotions to expect in it um, because some movies like you can watch them they're great 
but they're not ones that maybe have that rewatchability factor uh, going for it. And this one does like, you just love hanging around these people and um, it, it's scary and romantic and you can just have a great time with it. I, I think they, they, they capture something that is uh, long lost at this moment, uh, but uh, it's still fun to watch today. And uh I'm, I'm glad that more and more people are discovering it. Me too. So go out and get The Mummy 1999 version. It's on Blu-ray. Uh, it's on digital. I don't think it's on 4K yet, but hopefully there'll it, be a it, big edition. It is on 4K. Oh, it is on 4K. Yeah, you can get it on 4K. Um, before we close out, what is the the HFS moment? What, what's the holy fucking shit moment of this movie that is your favorite? the hfs moment of this movie um i i dude i am going to say the um it's it's a real small scene but it's uh <laughs> it's so great i just love when brennan fraser and i think it's marion they're all waiting for people to cross the bridge and the the beetles are coming towards them and then just one of their friends just does not make it and all the Beatles cover him and just like instantly gone, <laughs> like instantly done. And I love that scene just because it's like, Oh, I expected this guy to live. And they just watched their friend get eaten by a bunch of Beatles within five seconds. And that was that that's my, that's my favorite one. What about you? Um, there's two um, of the kills. It's when that, that Kurt Russell lookalike guy gets sucked to death and you see the shadow of his body just going <laughs> to and then it's tossed <laughs> to the side. Uh, but pretty much like that whole moment, that whole, everything that happens beyond that of, of him, his Navy on the bed and it's got that Dracula kind of feel of the way that he gets into the bedroom of the keyhole of like sanding through and then it just becomes a pile of sand then he just goes over there in this Dracula kind of way um, is really well done. Um, and then when his jaw isn't quite completely fleshed out and that little beetle is going around and then he bites into it right after Ardeth had just mentioned, like he won't sleep, he won't eat until he get what he wants. Uh, but he ate that beetle. <laughs> Swallowed the big June bug on my way over here. <laughs> I wish they said that. That's great. Oh, that's funny. No, those are great moments. All great moments. Yeah, this movie is so good. I have the Blu-ray collection. I do not have the 4K. Did they do a 4K collection or is it just of the first movie? I want to say that there was a 4K collection, um, but I have uh, the Blu-ray Steelbook collection, but it was, I, I like the covering and the, the cover art so much that I just bought the, the 4K and I just replaced the discs. Okay. All right. There you go. That is, Can I quickly? Uh, what What are your thoughts on the Mummy Returns? Oh, are we, are we get? Were you going to save yeah, that for the next time, or or for another show, or just quickly? No, just quickly. I want to know if you if you like that movie. I actually like Mummy Returns. Uh, it's it's it tries to go bigger, but it I still I think it's more of just seeing the characters again. Yeah. that I like the most about that movie. What about you? 
Yeah, it's not quite as good. It doesn't hold up as well, especially the effects in that one, because they do spend a little bit more money. And I mean, seeing The Rock as the Scorpion King in the end. Uh, Which is unarguably one of the worst kind of yeah, visual it's effects made, things. Yeah, It's made fun of. I mean, it's really ambitious uh, that they formed him into like an actual half man, half scorpion. Um, and they didn't it was like the rocks moment. It was like, this is my movie, man. And then he only gets to be like in his actual form for like montage sequences to learn about the Scorpion King. But then he got his own movie where he's the good guy. But then he's um, the biggest actor now. <laughs> today. Yeah, yeah, he, he, yeah, yeah. Where is that guy today? I don't know. Um, yeah, and I, I like the Scorpion King. I think the Scorpion King's a better movie than Mummy Two. <laughs> Do you like that. do you like the third one, the third mummy? I, I like some parts of it, but no, I uh, I had never seen it because I was so worried about it when I when I was eighteen when that one came out. So I just I couldn't do it. I just didn't. I couldn't. I just couldn't go see it. And so my wife, uh, when we were watching the collection after I got it, probably two years ago or so. I uh, we went through them and I was like, all right, I'm gonna watch this. And so we watched it, and yeah, there were some moments to it that were well done, but yeah, for the most part, I struggled with it. It's uh, it's hard to watch. And Roger Ebert said it was the best one out of all of them. <laughs> Roger Ebert. Um, hey, rest in peace. Yes. Uh, there you go. The Mummy. Please do this. Revisit this. Watch it for the first time. Watch it for the hundredth time it's good we love it thank you for listening to my bloody podcast uh we will be back with another episode very soon i'm brian kluger you can find me uh on instagram on twitter brian kluger high def digest boomstick comics and screen rant uh and youtube also you can find this podcast my bloody podcast itunes spotify stitcher Amazon, Google, just check out my bloody podcast. And then Preston, where can they find you, good sir? Uh, you can find me mostly on Instagram at Blu ray dad, um, where I'm sharing stuff in my stories and my actual Instagram posts. And you can find my writing on freshfiction.tv, where I'm the features editor, and dittonrc.com for Ditton Record Chronicle. Um, reviews interviews things like that i also have a youtube account under fresh fiction where you can find some of my interviews for like mythic quest and uh mosquito coast a lot of apple tv stuff because uh that's a thing that that is really very much my jam at this moment when i'm not watching uh, nature documentaries because i have discovery plus and i love that shit so i watch it love this Rec quick recommendation is that uh, judy dinch has her own uh uh nature of uh, uh, tv series on discovery plus that is quite good uh what is it called the wild my wild adventures in barena barena something like that um it's a good time it's good it's, re it's really plus. funny seeing her <laughs> climb trees <laughs> it was like betty white back in the day she was doing that with her uh pet set yeah. show it was amazing yeah. uh my bloody podcast we love you the mummy brendan frazier you're awesome uh we'll be back next time <laughs>